Hello. Hi. Uh, welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? Well, I, my name is Alex Vostrov. I'm an independent game developer in Vancouver, Canada. And right now I'm working on a strategy game, my first, uh, you know, I guess, commercial game uh, so far. Uh, yeah, what, what types of games did you do in the past? Well, let's see. It's, uh, it's going to be in a real collection of them. So I'm going to bring up my website here. Sure. Um, I, I like to experiment. You know, before I was doing kind of this project, which is large, I like to experiment with things. So, uh, you know, I've done kind of like asteroids type shooters. I've done puzzle games. Um, I did kind of very simple, I guess you could call it, uh, you know, kind of a throwing game for in the iPhone, you know, a while ago. So I guess there is kind of a, a real selection of games out there. Okay. So, yeah, what we'll talk about or what we'll focus on is just the way that you experiment. So when you talk about doing experiments for games, you know, what's, what's the process? Do you do like experiments every week? Is it something you do every month? Um, you know, how long are these uh, experimental game projects? Well, the, the big thing that kind of, I guess, broke things open for me is this idea of a one-week game. Okay. Because for the longest time, I would just kind of play a lot with, the, you know, just technology and, and get bogged down in, in projects. Yeah. And then... You know, I, I uh, hit up on, uh, you know, Petri's, Petri Perho's work, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. You can make a game in, in one week. <laughs> and so I did that, right? And it was a complete game. I was, I was kind of astounded. And so having that deadline allows me to make a complete idea that's not perfect, but yeah. kind of does a sanity check on whether it's good or not. So... When you're when you're doing a game in a week, does that mean you're just spending all your time on that game during the week, or, or how does the process work? Okay, so well, I haven't actually done this in a while because my current project is you know a lot longer than one week. Sure. Uh, but what I would do is basically I would, you know, this was when when I was you know not full, full time indie, I would basically spend all my free time for one week, you know, making that game. So that'd be one weekend. Okay. And, and actually, it's I've seen people do you know pretty great games in like three days. Yeah, in fact, I think there's actually you know it's a hidden law, but it's like the more time you spend on a new type of game, the less likely it it is to succeed. You know, it's like you you hear about these hits where they're like, well, I just pumped this out in in a couple of days. I mean, it's not perfect, but maybe it's just that time constraint um, makes you focus on what's important rather than trying to polish everything and you know. I don't know. Have you noticed that, or is that just something mm. I'm? <laughs> I've never really thought about that. I, I think because you look at World of Goo, right? Like I think World of Goo was initially done as an experiment. You know, um, so another guy that I interviewed, uh, the guys or the guy who did a uh, Pocket God or something like that on iPhone, it was like a weekend experiment for him, or like a week long experiment. And obviously, once it kind of gained traction, you know, they did spend more time on it to polish it up and stuff like that. But the gameplay itself was, you know, derived out of a really quick experiment. Yeah, I think if you're talking about the core game idea, I think yeah. maybe there's some validity to that. I think because I was thinking as a counterexample, something like Braid. But yeah. <laughs> I think if you if you listen to Jonathan Blow's lectures, I think he threw together the whole time reversal mechanic fairly quickly as well. And then yeah. the rest of the process was a lot of tweaking and, and polishing. So, so so maybe maybe the best strategy is to recognize that if the core gameplay doesn't work within a day or two, throw it away and then pick up another one. You know, like just do another experiment. Like, how would you suggest doing that? It's like for the listeners out there who are trying to do something innovative or experimental. 
what would you suggest? You know, this is something I've struggled with personally, you know, yeah. quite a while because I, I've it's something I've been wondering, like when do you actually decide to kill a project? <laughs> yeah. Right? Because my experience, so as much as I love the four or sorry, the, the seven day game idea, I found that as I kept making games, they kind of started growing longer and longer. Yeah. Right? And they get because less fun and less fun. In a sense. I think it depends on the individual idea as well. Okay. Right. So because, you know, I would get the I would get to a point where I would be at the end of seven days and the game would not be in a state where I'd be happy with it and I'd be tempted to tweak it and tweak it and tweak it. And sometimes it was that was like the really wrong thing to do because yeah. I just started down the wrong path and I was just continuing further down the wrong path. Yeah. But you know, this the game I'm working on now, actually something strange happened in the sense that for like months I was really lost. I was like I wasn't sure what the game was about. It wasn't fun, and I was like, uh, "Why am I working on this?" But I've already spent so much time. Um, and then, you know, I've eventually kind of punched through the wall of unfun, and yeah. the game was fun because I finally found something. Well, but I it was, was a different game than I intended. Yeah. So yeah. So let's talk about that because I think that is that's definitely a huge issue. So you're you're. I mean, yeah, what would you suggest? How did you punch through that wall of unfun? Did you just have to kind of leave the project like on the side for a few months and then come back to it and maybe look at it from a different perspective? Or was it just sheer persistence or <laughs> sheer experimentation? Or what was it that allowed you to push through that wall? I think it was just stubbornness, of, okay. if anything. Like I, because and not kind of a good type of stubbornness, like persevere type stubbornness. It was more like, I've already spent so much time on that project and I was kind of unwilling to just let it go. Whereas uh, realistically, that's probably what I should have done because, you know, I could have come up with a different idea and and, and it would be good, right? And this is what effectively what yeah. happened anyway. It just kind of happened within that one framework that I was working with. Yeah, uh, but well... I, I, Go ahead, yeah, go right. ahead, yeah. Well, and that, but I just kind of kept trying out ideas. See, the, originally the game was supposed to be, the idea was, you know, you had four or five guys and it was kind of this zombie strategy game where you're walled up in a house and zombies are coming and you have to hold off, you know, before, <laughs> uh, you know, if you know, once enough time passes, dawn comes and you're safe. Yeah. And you'd set, set up all these crazy traps, you know, kind of predator style where you'd have these swinging logs and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of, went down that path and it wasn't it wasn't fun at all uh, and instead of leaving the game i kept trying things and trying things and trying things and then it turned it, it eventually turned into this small unit you know i guess real-time strategy or real-time tactics game yeah but that's um, not like the original intent yeah that's you know but the issue is is that would it have been better to restart the whole project and just be like you know if you like did that framework prevent you from ex you know finding the fun because sometimes when I, you build I think things, so. Okay. Because the, re, the 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 point is, you know, I'm trying to move towards, I guess, being a bit more organized as a designer now. Yeah. And I, I noticed that people who are really respected as designers are kind of very clear about what they're trying to achieve with a particular experiment or, you know, feature, right? So they'll put something in and they'll be like, this is an experiment to find out whether this is a good idea. Um, and then if it's not, it's not. Yeah. Right. Okay. So maybe if I said from the beginning, I'm going to try to see whether this kind of zombie survival RTS idea is any good, and then if it isn't, it's a failed experiment. Yeah. Uh, then it'd be better. It's, I think it's a matter of clarity, right? Like, what are you yeah. trying to achieve? Yeah. You know. So I guess you know the question is is you know that's what's funny is because you know to find 
you know, that, that kind of hidden gameplay that actually is something unique and special, that's obviously not going to be clear, right? And that's the goal of an experimental game designer is to figure out how to clearly find that or, you know, what is that new type of gameplay um, that actually is fun. And so maybe the strategy is that you acknowledge that you don't have a clear idea of the gameplay, but you do and you can make a clear description of what the next experiment will be. And as you do these experiments, maybe your clarity horizon actually builds up and until you finally have that, you know, that you can, you can see the whole clear horizon or how the, you know, the actual fun game is going to look. Right. So, and also, presumably, so kind of like the, war. Yeah. <laughs> presumably your, your first idea, I mean, there is something animating that, right? It's a particular yeah. sensation or kind of um, a combination of things that you think will work well together, right? Yeah. So... You know, I suppose in in some way it's also you have to clarify what exactly you're expecting from from you know, to achieve with a particular experiment, rather than just it's going to be fun. Well, <laughs> in what way exactly, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So so let's go. Let's move back then to the experiments um, that you were doing. So you were doing an ex a game a week. Um, you know, what were you learning, and how many of these game a weeks did you do? So it was it was a one week game, and then you know I kind of had a monthly schedule, but like I said, it it started lagging because I, uh, you know, I was unwilling to let things go. Yeah. Uh, so far, let's see. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, about eight or or nine of them okay. on the list, right? And then you know the last, basically the last two, which were you know Attack of the Paper Zombies. Yeah, uh, which which eventually evolved into the game that I'm working on now. And, and was that that was the game that a lot of people, or you know, for example, I interviewed uh, the guy who did Steambirds, Andy Moore, and he mentioned, I think, Attack of the Paper Zombies. It was it a flash game or something, or it's a PC game. Okay. So it's a PC freeware game that you can get on my website. Yeah, can you explain that for the audience so they have a sense of what the game's about? Uh, well, as I mentioned, it started as this kind of small small unit tactics idea so you know a lot of rts's you can always build things up yeah. you know it'd be like eh, my guys died but it's okay i have enough resources i'll build 10 of them again right um here the resources are limited you you know you only have five guys uh you know you, if they die they come back so that's fine but you can never overwhelm the enemy with just m more resources right okay uh, you're, you're limited to your initial team and then you are with that initial team you're facing you know, a swarm of in Attack of the Paper Zombies is zombies, and yeah. there are like, you know, a th there's a thousand of them because, and they're they're always respawning, <laughs> right? So there there's a huge asymmetry into in what you have and and what they have, right? Yeah. But it's good because, uh, you know, there are a lot of enemies, but your guys are more powerful, and so the idea is, you know, there's a steady stream of zombies coming at you, and you're trying to capture, uh, you know, the the places where they're coming from. Right, so initially it was supposed to be zombie sewers. Okay. Uh, this is kind of how I hit upon the idea. I thought of, well, what if you run out there and you you kind of you you cap the sewer so that you know you, the zombies can't get you anymore. And so it's it's kind of a, a capture the point gameplay, yeah. right? Uh, and you can also build structures, right, to kind of in a in almost a tower defenseish way yeah. to protect stuff. And the what? So when you in, when you did this initial game, were, did you have a set of experimentation points that you were looking at? Like, were you trying to experiment with theme? Like, what were the things that you were go, trying to experiment with with this specific game project? Uh, 
Well, it was that initial idea of of kind of a survival strategy game, right? Okay. And when that didn't work, the real the real thing that kind of pushed me in the in the direction of of the current game is this idea. You know, I kind of have this original idea of zombies crawling out of out of sewers, right? Yeah. Uh, as I've said, <laughs> and then so I thought, well, what if what if instead of just being holed up in this house uh, with traps all around, what if the survivors could run out? You know, kind of do this very quick uh, sallies from the house and. Uh, you know, cap the zombie points and be a risk versus reward thing, right? Because you know it's kind of it's unsafe out there, but you get you know you get some benefit from stemming the flow of zombies, uh, and then that worked in ways that I didn't expect. Okay. Uh, I guess I'm a big fan of of, of um, discovering things in in game design. Yeah. Like well, you, you you try out an experiment and then it leads in a completely new direction, and you might have to adjust your old preconceptions to yeah. account for that. Um, you know, when you're doing these experiments, are you also having other people play them, or is it pretty much you play testing them and kind of determining what the results of that experiment were? For the seven day games, it was yeah. more or less me all the way, and then okay. I would have people. I mean, I think I had people in the end. Uh, so, you know, when I say seven days, maybe like there were eight days where on the next Monday I would show it off to friends, and they'd be like, "The controls are horrible. What are you thinking?" And they'd yeah. be like, "Why? What was I thinking?" Right? And I would fix things. But for the most of the day, for most of it, it was just me. During these experiments, were you also experimenting with different technologies? So you know, different platforms. You mentioned an iPhone game. So would you try, like maybe one game would be done in Flash, another game would be done on the PC, another game would be done on iPhone, or? I tried to experiment with platform, but not nearly enough. Okay. I mean, the iPhone thing was mostly it wasn't a conscious experiment. It was more curiosity. Kind of, oh. I wanted. Uh, first of all, I was tired of the zombie game because, like I said, yeah. I was kind of wandering around in, in the design cloud, not knowing <laughs> whether I was going to emerge or what. And then, so I was really tired of it. I was kind of burnt out, and I just took a break and experimented yeah. with the iPhone. And then I actually, I actually tried Flash. You know, there was this kind of aborted project I called Power to the People, where people would suggest things, you know, for me to put in the game, yeah. and then I would do it. But I, it never really took off because, you know, I. Just I switched to the current project, uh, yeah. so I could have experimented more. Uh, I guess the the one thing is with working with C plus plus, which which I do. Yeah, it's you have to build up a lot of technology. Yeah, it's not fun. Yeah, so <laughs> so really, I didn't experiment with technology, but I built up a lot of code. Right, if you look yeah. at the my code is still horrible. I still rank it as like an abomination, but. Um, you know, if you comp- it was more horrible, you know, two years ago. Yeah, I, I think the issue though is that see, once you actually invest all your time in building up that code, it's you know, it's it is harder for you to want to be willing to change and throw it away. Just like you said, you spent so much, you invested so much time in the project. That's why you were hesitant to leave, and that you know was a good thing in a sense that you were able to push through the unfun wall. But at the same time, you know, like you also mentioned, it may have been better to just be like, you know what, I'm just gonna have to do a reset. And start from the ground up again. <laughs> Would that have accelerated the current progress? Or, hmm. well, keep in mind a lot of the code that I keep is very general. It's, okay. for example, um, it was you know in open in OpenGL you need to load your own textures, right? Oh yeah. So okay. yeah, and so. I, you know, I eventually wrote a, a thing which would load uh, sprites and it would lay them out onto a texture, so that you know it would I wouldn't have to do it manually, you know, in a in a graphics editor. So it's stuff like that. And and that is kind of shareable between projects. 
Okay. I do. I do. Uh, you definitely have a point, though. I do miss. I definitely feel constrained by having invested so much, you know, time into things. Yeah. Like I, I'm thinking for my next project, I was kind of love love to use maybe Unity or Flash, but then I'm thinking, wow, I have all this technology, and I could do more interesting things. And yeah, but then you'd have to maintain a technology, which is not fun. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Um. So, so how do you go from attack of the paper zombies into um, deciding to do a longer project. How, how did that transition go? So you're doing these weekly experiments. How, how, you know, what finally convinced you to do something more long-term? Right. Well, that's an interesting story. So, and it's not, probably doesn't reflect too well on me. So, <laughs> but, uh, first of all, Attack of the Paper Zombies took me maybe a year or so of work part-time, right? Okay. Oh, so, th so it wasn't a week experiment. Yeah, that was like a complete failure of the one-week experiment principle, okay. right? Like <laughs> okay. I said, I started drifting in the end. Uh, I think the game before that took like three or four months. Okay. Right? And then, you know, funnily enough, after that I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm getting back to the one-week principle. And no, I, it, was, it, it became worse. Okay. Uh, but eventually I finished it, right? With, yeah. You know, I took long breaks from, but eventually I, I finished it just kind of through sheer stubbornness. During that time, were you working on other games too, or was it just that was your primary? Like, your... well, I took a break to do that iPhone game, but it was okay. no, it was my primary thing. I just got really burnt out, and, and... yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we'll discuss that a little later, just how to handle longer term projects. But yeah, go ahead. Right, and uh, so. I released that, and you know, I, I got some. I got feedback that I liked. It was probably my most successful game, if you were to interpret success as you know just publicity. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, up to then, I I I really didn't have plans to become a full time indie. Yeah. It was more like it was more like I want to be an astronaut. That in that type <laughs> of realm, right? It's like yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, but then I I kind of I really started to consider the idea seriously. And then I finally decided to do it. Um, and well, while you the, were considering this idea, were you talking to other indies? I mean, what? Yeah, I, I had this like huge thing where I like emailed every single indie who I thought was awesome, and and, and I, you know I heard of, and I asked for their advice. Yeah, so their advice was varying, right? Uh, but I just kind of was trying to get a grasp on this idea of not having a job and trying to make games and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, but so, yeah, I was doing that. Uh, and then the current game was actually was supposed to be like a two-month project or something uh, to just figure out kind of the business dimensions of things, right? Yeah. It was, it was, I would literally thought, okay, you know, I have this game that's, you know, could use a, some polish, right? The art isn't that good and everything. So I'm going to make a kind of a premium version and then I'm going to figure out the whole, you know, kind of the scary business sales part where, like, you have to set up a website and payments and all this other stuff that I have no idea how to do. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, it seems like other projects, you know, in, in in my experience, it drifted and now I'm, I've spent, like, six months working on it, right? Okay. So... Yeah. Um, during that time that you spent six months working on it, were you doing other projects or anything like that or...? I I'm really kind of cautious about that. I think if I, I I'm like I even try to not not think about my next game idea to be honest too much. Even though so, I I, I mean, kind of have like two or three of them that I know I might do, but I I really think like I need to focus on the current thing. I mean, you know, you talk about sometimes the motivation of to keep going. I mean, do you feel that maybe it's almost necessary to take maybe a one week 
break each month to do another experimental game or to you know investigate different perspectives that could maybe add to your current game I think it could be beneficial if you could have the discipline to come back to your current project. Yeah. I mean, I'm afraid that what's going to happen is I'm just going to fall so much in love with the next thing. Because you okay. see, for yeah, me, the next yeah. thing that you're working on, it's always it's always full of potential and <laughs> yeah. and imagination, all these things. Like, you never see the big problems <laughs> that are eventually going to come up, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, but whereas the current project, they're right in your face because you're dealing with them. And so I'm just afraid that I'll find something that that'll just take off the focus of the current project. So uh, that's I mean, that's yeah. sad though. I did go to, um, you know, Orca Jam in, in Victoria uh, and, and kind of, you know, jammed for uh, two or three days with Andy Moore and a whole bunch of other awesome indies and it was a great experience. Yeah. So, and I'm actually going to do the Global Game Jam as well. But so, I don't, it's not really an organized thing, right? It's not something I'm planning for. Yeah. So maybe the bet, better strategy, you know, is to stay focused on your primary game but have a few experimental jams, you know, interspersed during your development process just to give you a different perspective and so that you can come revisit your game with a different lens. I mean, do you feel that those um, jams have actually given you a better understanding of how you're going to develop your current game? Or were mm. they just diversions? Like, they didn't really... I think they were diversions for me. Okay. Now, I had... I had a I had what has been really beneficial for me in the current project is just challenging existing assumptions. Yeah, and that actually came by, came by as a result of playtesting. So, can you give um, the audience an example of what you mean by challenging assumptions? Like, how, what's what's the exact technique you use? Hmm. Or, I wish I had a technique. Then then okay. I would be like I'd probably be twice as good as a game designer. But here's a story, right? So. Yeah. You know, at a certain point in, in, in my game development, I, I, I guess my, my cycle of game development, as I see it now, is you make the game deep, right? So you, you focus on depth first. And then once you've, you, once you've gone as deep as you want to go, and you're kind of satisfied with the, 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 the meat of the game, then you kind of have to figure out how to take that awesome stuff that you've discovered in the, in the deep bowels of the earth yeah. and how to cart it up to the surface for everybody else to see. Right, and that is at least as important as part A. Right, if you made an awesome game but nobody on, in the world understands it, yeah, then you you failed just as if you didn't make an awesome game. Okay, and so I, so I, I hit hit that point where I'm like, okay, the game is deep enough. I have to explain it to people, and I started working on the campaign and kind of trying to structure the learning curve, and I started show, showing it to my non-game designer friends. And what came from that is that the game was, uh, you know, way too hard. Obviously, I've never right. actually made a game that's, that was too easy, right? ever. Okay. Um, and it was way too hard, but it was also you know, unforgiving. Okay. So that's kind of the word that I use. Is that it's once you made a mistake, it was very hard to recover. You kind of have to be, you know, kind of clairvoyant in a way, or had to be the game designer, right, in order to have things go right. Uh, and that really bothered me. It gnawed on me, right? And like I didn't, I didn't want, you know, don't want it to work that way. And so I, and but there was a very good reason why it was that way. I think I had built up a lot of preconceptions about, you know, why things had to be that way. Because I think, you know, as, as game designers, sometimes there is an impulse to, I, I guess, not not let the player kind of have too much free reign. Like not have weapons that are too powerful or, or things like that, right? And there's always the, the temptation to rein things back, and so that was kind of a factor in play. And then 
I decided, okay, well, you know what? I'm just going to... Um, so in this case, specifically, it was the selling of structures in my game. In, in Attack of the Paper Zombies, when you sell a structure, there is a penalty. Uh, you, you sell a structure and you lose half of the uh, resources that you spent on it. Which is actually a pretty big deal because you the only way you get more resources is by advancing further in the game and capturing more territory. So it's it's like a fixed resource pool. It's not like StarCraft where you you know you mine more resources and like eh, okay you know I, I always have more. Yeah. Um, and so the problem is it's it's really easy to get into a down, downward spiral. But I was really concerned about well if you had unlimited resources or you were able to you know get resources uh, kind of more fluidly well then certain choices wouldn't matter as much like if you place a building then you could just move it as many times as you want and it'd be kind of an irrelevant choice uh, and so i built up build up this kind of framework or, or ideology around it which was kind of hardened up i suppose and calcified but one day i just said okay well you know what i'm i'm going to you know put aside all that and I'm going to try the very simplest solution to that, which is remove the penalty for selling structures. Okay. Right. And I thought there would be all kinds of problems with it, and it'd be horrible. But I just kind of, <laughs> uh, I just kind of, I said I'd bite the bullet and I'm going to try it. And it was awesome. It was like this is the best one single best design decision I've ever made <laughs> as a game designer. Right. I changed. I swear, I changed okay. two lines of code. <laughs> right. And. And it made the game, you know, I made a, I changed the the penalty and I and I did something to compensate. I, I throttled down the number of resources you had in the first place, so you wouldn't be yeah. just kind of run crazy. And the game suddenly became like a lot more dynamic and fluid, and you could experiment. It was it was great, right? Yeah. So I guess that's what I mean is with challenging so, your assumptions. Okay. Is if you if you're aware of certain styles of thinking or you like you're resisting certain approaches in the game, yeah. sometimes it's good to identify them and kind of pounce. And say, okay, I'm gonna try the try it the other way. Okay. And did you play test then the new change? Like, how did that go? Yes, I did. I mean, that very day, right? I was working, you know, at the library, yeah. and then I had, uh, you know, a meeting of kind of my designer mastermind group, you know, sure. I suppose you call it. And I play play tested it that very evening, and it was great. Great. Um, okay. And you know, you mentioned the design designer mastermind group can you talk about uh what that what the purpose of that group serves for you and and you know how you interact with it and how has it helped you make a better game hmm. well there are several factors right so one is i think once you when when you work in a project alone or suppose even in a, gr in a group uh if you once you you've seen it for months and months you develop certain blind spots yeah it, in all categories in design in art Right. I, I used to have this really tacky, uh, kind of blue and and red and green color scheme, that I stared at for like months, and it, the scary thing it eventually started looking good to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and the same thing with certain design decisions is you get so used to them. I mean, especially since you designed them, right? Yeah. You kind of you never have them the same view at these decisions as a player will anyway. That things that are not that good start looking good to you. So the benefit of the kind of the masterminding group is one, you have a pair of fresh eyes, or you know, four fresh pair of eyes, and then these are also the people who understand design enough to give you correct, you know, kind of good corrections for things. So the problem is when you when you test with people who are not game designers, 
it's incredibly, incredibly valuable as a, you know a yeah. testing experience because you you find find out how your game works in, in reality, but you can never take the suggestions that people give at face value, right? So okay. at best you can try to distill them and try to find out what the impulse behind the suggestions is, but off very often people will suggest things that are kind of uh, irrelevant to the game or or you know they'll be like you should add you should add a you know an rpg progression scheme or something like that and <laughs> you know you'll be like no that's not what really is the game about but why are they saying that uh, you know they think they want to be more invested in the game as a whole right yeah whereas when you're doing you know when you're doing this exercise with a designer they're like um you know the, i didn't feel invested in the game you should find out more structures here are three options right Okay, so like so a, because they under, they have a game design vocabulary, that's what's yes. But that exactly. could be dangerous, right? Because then they're they're kind of structured in a traditional game design concepts. If you're talking about experimental game design, I'll maybe you know, discovering they're not going to be able to think in terms of new mechanics because there's not a vocabulary for those new mechanics yet, right? Or, but, well, but you you found there it, is no silver bullet, right? You're, yeah, uh, yeah. So so the strategy is not to 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 have multiple feedback loops you know one is the designer mastermind the other could be the play testing groups um the other one could be like something you know feedback from blog readers stuff like that. is is that what you're talking about then like yeah just, i think okay. that that's a very viable approach um you know you also look at other games i've recently played um you know space cam I don't, I don't know whether you've heard about that game no i haven't okay so it's a puzzle game where ostensibly the theme is about you know chemicals but it's really it's like it's almost a programming game. You're trying to, I guess, almost program these assembly lines for putting together um, uh, chemicals. So, and I thought it was very clever. And a couple of ideas out of there, I thought were kind of really awesome, and I kind of want to put into my game. Yeah. So, you know, for example, they had a very interesting use of um, showing you know stats for what other players have completed, right? So, when pl when players complete complete a level, you see graphs. In several categories of how everybody else did, and it doesn't tell you what's what category is better, but you're kind of tempted to optimize things and and improve them. Um, so, okay. you know, that's like it's always helps to keep an eye out also on what other people do. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's so that's also part of the strategy then is to also just um, check out you know check out what other developers have done you know and see their perspective on game design. Um, yeah. You know, how often do you meet your how often do you do play testing, and how often do you meet your designer group and you know check out other games and stuff? For like the that? designer group, it's once per month, approximately. Okay. Do you think that's pretty long? I mean, I mean, is that is that enough time, or I mean, have you tried mm -hmm. once a week or every two weeks, or is it? No, we haven't really tried it. Uh, I don't okay. know. I don't. I guess the thing is, it takes a while to. Yeah. You know, once you're producing a game, right, versus yeah. experimenting, it takes actually quite a while to get design decisions into the game. Yeah, that's what really is not fun. It's like, you know, you get these playtesting feedback and it's, you kind of hope like, oh, you can finish it, you know, finish the changes in a day or two. And so sometimes it'll just take a bit longer. Yeah, it's, and, well, it's, you know, right now I'm focused <laughs> on the art, to be honest, in, the, in my game, right? Okay. And that's that's going incredibly well, but because I'm, you know, it, I'm the only programmer, I can't, you know, I've, I've improved the UI a bit, but I, for example, I, the work on the campaign has kind of stopped, right? So yeah. all of the feedback I have from, you know, having rough spots and in the tutorials and stuff like that, I have all this feedback and pages and pages of testing notes, but it's just sitting there. 
Right. Yeah. And that's that's really kind of the the very frustrating thing moving from the seven day game mindset to you know a one year game I suppose or half a year game. I, I is think... that I'm just you, you get used to this rapid progress where like you know at the in the morning the game isn't even there yet and like boxes are bumping <laughs> into each other and in the evening it's it's like guys throwing hammers at each other uh, and then and then you get into this like well I I can spend a week on you know making the UI look like this prototype right yeah so it's it's a bit of a jarring transition so you know what are what are strategies to to address that issue? I, I think one of the dangerous things I've seen happen is that indie developers are like, well, I've been successful with these week-long games, so I might as well, you know, take a year to do a game. And it's just, that, that messes up, I think, the, the tempo and the rhythm to the point where that year-long game may not have actually, may not actually have been productive. You know, it's, I, I don't know, what what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel that you still need that time, or if you actually had a two-week deadline, you might have a more compelling game. Hmm. Well, that's really hard for me to think. I, you know, I have I have a huge backlog of ideas that I really want to work on. Yeah. Right. To be honest, most of them I probably couldn't do in two weeks. So there is okay. kind of two issues here, right? One is some games deserve polish, right? Yeah. And okay. So in order to kind of if if you want to find that initial strike all day polishing a game, you know, like is it like or do you just do you still have to break up your day into different things, you know? Like maybe it is almost worthwhile to be like, well, I mean, you know, to still designate two or three hours a day or one or two hours a day doing other experiments. I find that in my this is a personal thing. I think I need to focus on, on kind of one subject. Sure. Okay. Uh, it's almost like you load up all the relevant data into your brain, right? And it's kind of it's jungling around in there, and you remember, you know, things that you need to do. So if I'm, if I'm working on art and animation, you know, it helps me to do art and animation related tasks and not disrupt myself with okay. designs things, right? So it's I don't know, it's a bit of a trade off. The problem is it's very hard to actually focus on design exclusively. Because yeah. in my experience, you need to once you make a design decision, you need to kind of let it rest for a while to really assess it. So it's very hard to say, you know, the next two weeks are dedicated to design, and that's all I'm doing. It's it kind of helps to intersperse it between other things. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, and have you figured out a solution to how to implement design decisions at a much quicker rate? You know, I mean, so that when you get feedback on, hey, this new mechanic should change, or you know, you should try this, you're able to do that pretty quickly. I don't really have a good solution to that, to be honest. I mean, okay. it's it's more or less taking the game code and throwing things in. Right. I, I suppose uh, as as a remedy to things being difficult to implement, I, I tend to favor quick and dirty solutions, which is sometimes okay. good, sometimes really bad. But so here's an example from from you know Attack of the Paper Zombies. Uh, there's a structure called the minefield, and you know if you build it, you'll see there'll be like ten ten little mines in a circle. But as a game object, it's it doesn't actually simulate the ten little mines. That's a graphical, you know, drawing thing. Yeah. The the real the minefield is one big blob, and anybody who steps on the the blob kind of gets you know attacked with the mine attack. Uh, and that was kind of a very conscious decision that I made when I was doing the minefield because I was thinking, well, I want to try what mines will be like, but I don't want to invest all this time in coordinating you know ten different mine objects and then removing them and adding them. So I'll just it'll be a, you know adding one big blob is about the same as having ten objects, right? Okay. 
and so I guess it's more like finding kind of a, a intersection between time and how yeah. closely you want to approach your idea. <laughs> yeah, and then, well, I mean, have you thought about maybe even using another tool to just do the the design prototyping instead of putting it in your game? Or would that just, it just would be too hard because you'd have to... I think it probably would take more time. Okay. Um, so So right now you're focused on art. Um, how are you going to tackle all those design notes that you also have? I mean, what's what's the strategy there? And um, yeah, I'm a bit distressed by that, in the okay. sense that it, you know, all this stuff is freshest when you've just tested, right? Yeah. So and the optimal have, thing you is, have some energy yeah. when you you know when you get that feedback right then and there. Yes, usually I cringe. It's like, ah, oh, <laughs> I need hotkeys. How are people playing without hotkeys, right? <laughs> um, I, I, you know, watching somebody play your game as a designer is like in the the best experience to snap you into reality. Yeah. Because I feel I when I do that, I feel literally like it's me doing all the stupid things to them and not the game. So like <laughs> when when they try to build a building and like the game is being kind of obtuse about what they're trying to do, I feel like I'm kind of I'm like the game master and I'm doing dumb things and they're just like going, "What? Why are you doing this to me?" Right? <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. So. Um, but I think you know what I, I'm. I have it all recorded. I'm going to try to recall it as best as I can. Okay. And if I can't, you know, eventually I'll kind of finish off all the art, all the sound, kind of all the design that's in my head, and then I'll just kind of start this testing loop where I'm going out there, I'm I'm testing with people. I get feedback. I go back the very day and you know fix it as much as I can. I go out there again, right? Yeah. And that'll be all that I do, right? And and where do you find these playtesters? Are you do you just find them on Craigslist or something else, or how does that? I mean, how do you keep the the flow of new testers and you know? Well, so far it's been really small scale, okay. you know, relatively. So it's been my friends, it's been other game designers that I know, right? Uh, you know, I've kind of started, yeah. you know, a list, uh, you know, game designers who, who liked. Attack of the Paper Zombies, I gave them a build and, and you know, they're sending me feedback. Um, yeah, you know, I also I, I also help run, you know, the local indie meetup okay. group. So there is, you know, a lot of people coming to that that I could show the game to. And Eventually, I don't know. I You know, I've thought about this. I It's as far as finding, like, completely fresh faces. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll just go to, like, a gamers meetup and you know, say, hey, would you like to check out this game? And just show up with a laptop, who knows? Um, yeah, um, what, have you thought of outsourcing the artwork and the sound um, so you can focus more on the programming and the game design? Or Well, that... so the answer to that is yes, in short. Okay. And and the art right now is being done by uh, Greg Wolwind, who's awesome. He's yeah. he's like the best artist who I could, I could have possibly stumbled onto. Um, and it's, you know, it's been great working with him. So, in you know I'm not a I'm, I'm kind of I would love to be better at art and sometimes I kind of doodle things and you know look halfway good but I don't have a in a graphic design background right sure. and all the skills that you would need to pull pull together to you know have a cohesive art style I just don't have them unfortunately so in the past it was it was like this was something that really really bugged me i would try different approaches for the environment and you know the backgrounds and none of it would really work and it was yeah. ex- incredibly frustrating it was like uh, incredibly frustrating and demoralizing right yeah. because it, well you see what happened was 
I think subconsciously I kind of almost gave up on having good art, right? And and that has kind of knock-on effects where you kind of, well, I'm probably not going to be able to get on Steam and like then nobody will really care about the game and it just kind of poisons the whole mindset of working on things. Okay. So it's been really great having an artist who is, you know, an artist and not just kind of a, a programmer artist. Uh, and as for sound, that's something I'm kind of really considering on right now. So yeah, I was and, originally well, planning, sorry. Yes? What I was going to say is, can't you go on some of those audio effects sites and just buy sound effects or is that? Well, okay. That's, that doesn't equal sound engineering though, right? Yeah. It's like buying clip art online, right? Like maybe, I mean, some of the sound is clip- really good. Yeah. Like sound rangers. I've actually, you know, they have some pretty good sound effects, but yeah. no, there are, there are sound libraries. The question is, you know, I've done that for other games, right? You know, I've I've done the sound engineering for other games. The question is, do you believe that having you know five years off of of sound engineer experience matters? Like, is this something you can just uh, pick up and and have like over one week get it as much as a professional who's been doing it for you know for five or ten years? And well, if you if you don't believe that experience really matters, then I suppose you could do it yourself. Um, I think that. Having great sound is very important to supporting design goals, okay. right? I think sound is really an underappreci- underappreciated in a lot of games. Sure. Problem is, uh, most people like sound. People don't really know how to review review sound. I think. Yeah. Um, well, so, no. so 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 sorry to to kind of finish up is I'm actually considering it for you know to, whether I should hire a professional sound guy, and you know if I had a kind of an infinite money chest, I would definitely do it. Yeah. Uh, but the only thing that's kind of stopping me right now is not devoting humongous resources to the project. Um, what? So you know, do you like as a game designer? How do you how do you even consider sound in your game? I mean, is do you have a different process, or is it kind of like, well, this this activity should have a sound effect in it, or are you more methodical with it, where you're actually play testing different sound effects and seeing how people respond to it? I haven't actually gotten to the sound uh, engineering part yet, right? Okay. So I've, I'm kind of very slowly creeping up on it. I basically have two goals for, goals for sound. One is informational, right? So yeah. things that the player should know should be also communicated through sound. Okay. Uh, you know, if uh, if an event happens off screen that they should know about, like they lose a structure, that should be a sound event, right? So that's that's one thing. And two is you know, in, in just generally in support of general design goals right so i know what the inner loop of my game is it's you know it's fighting these hordes of bugs and and uh and taking out the hive structures and and that type of experience and i know what it it should feel like it should feel really kind of juicy and satisfying like you're you know you're you're just popping lots of cockroaches or something like that and so having those two goals really helps me clarify what the sound should be like right i want you know and and also the graphics Right, uh, you know the 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 death animations and you know the de- the kind of the blood decals left on the ground all flow from that same source of wanting, you know, having to have a kind of really juicy inner loop, and that's what I focus on. Okay. In in sounds, but I haven't actually gotten in in making the sounds and kind of tuning them yet. Uh, I suppose, you know, it's very hard to to get feedback for sound. I think, because. Yes. What players will tell you when they don't like the sound, they won't tell you they don't like the sound unless it's absolutely horrible. Uh, you know, they'll they'll you know they'll say, oh, this gun doesn't quite feel right, and the reason it doesn't quite feel right is because 
the sound doesn't quite match the expected effect or it doesn't match the graphic, right? And okay. so you really have to, as a designer, kind of infer what they really mean is that it's it's a really big gun, but it makes kind of a squeaky noise. Um, okay. Uh, what? So so this project is is taking a little longer than you expected. What's <laughs> so? What is the step? What are the steps you're going to take to get this out? And um, yeah, what have you changed any of your development process since you've started? It, yeah, my development process if you know if you want to call it that that's a bit too grand um you know kind of is a thing in progress i suppose i'm because i'm i'm not only learning you know how to make a bigger game because this is the biggest game i've ever worked on but also i'm learning you know kind of all the project management stuff of even like up to the point of how do you manage a team of one person consisting of yourself yeah um and so Sorry, what was the question? I kind of, I kind of lost oh. my track. Oh yeah, well, I was going to ask, what are you going to do to accelerate or yes. to get this game okay. out? So one thing is feature creep, right? Yeah. You know, I've I've just developed an incredible resistance to adding new features, right? So it's kind of a discipline thing, right? Where before I was maybe you know come somewhere around August, I was very kind of free with trying new <laughs> weapons and trying new buildings. Yeah. Like it was like it was like, hey, let's play around and, and kind of add new things to the game, right? And I wouldn't wouldn't even have a plan for like the week. I would just say, uh, I would play the game for a while and I would see something and it'd be like, wow, it wouldn't be awesome if uh, there was a guy who was completely invisible, right? And I would code that in and I try that out and I'd be like, wow, you know, uh, that works really well. You know, let's put him in. Um, and now my process is a lot different. It's like a lot more production driven, I guess. So yeah, I have I have plans for what I want to do. I kind of plan out my week. I set goals. Uh, I, Did you? I keep, sorry, yes. I, I keep very tight kind of control over the scope of the game, right? So did you lock down these features um, after you found the fun, or was this even before you found the fun? So, I mean, when when do you decide when to, like, lock down feature creep versus, mm-hmm. like, actually needing to add features to find to, to make sure that the game is the most fun it could be? So I was, I was fortunate in that I think I... You know, I, I had the foundation of of the fun before I started this iteration of the game, right? Okay. Because it was it was a freeware game first that people kind of liked, right? It kind of put a lot of people off with this difficulty, but I think people who were into it were really into it. So I knew that there was something there, right? Okay. Um, and I guess in a sense you could say that it was like it was a two stage project where I kind of I shipped half the game first and then I returned yeah. to it. Uh, and yeah, but the actual decision to lock down features was driven more by like, wow, I've spent five months on this project, like, and I was never intending to do that, and and just kind of that internal realization, rather than saying the project is complete, kind of design wise. So that was August two thousand ten, and now it's um, January two thousand eleven. So what what are the remaining things that need to be done to get the game out? So right now we're you know as I mentioned, I'm focusing on the graphics. Yeah. We are kind of revising some things, but mostly we're pushing ahead with approving, you know, basically static assets. So right now we have kind of sprites just gliding along the ground, right? And next step is animation. Right? Okay. After we're done with animation, and that you know that's gonna be a huge part of the game. I think it's going to look make look things I mean, incredibly alive. Uh it's going to be kind of polish. Um and that's going to be it for the graphics. I still have to per, kind of perfect the campaign. I'm maybe 30% of the way there. Uh, and the way I'm thinking about the campaign is in terms of, of 
letting the player learn the game, right? It's it's a completely yeah. learning thing for me. Um, there is also some kind of design tweaks I have to I still have to do. Like there are there are things I'm really dissatisfied with. I think I have to address them, and the sound, as I mentioned. Have so you... those are the major areas. So you know, there's that sounds like a lot. <laughs> the problem is yeah. there are various stages of completion and uncompletion, and you know. So it's my my kind of very provisional deadline is, you know, kind of July or so, you know, June July. But you know, I don't trust myself to give estimates anymore. So, yeah. well, have you thought of taking the Minecraft approach where you just release your game, just keep on getting feedback, keep on improving it, you know, iterating it, even though it's still live, and you know that that kind of feedback loop will maybe keep you more focused, maybe make the whole development process more fun. Or do you feel that you need to make sure things are perfected before you release it? I think I'm a, I'm a perfectionist at heart, which is you know can sometimes be very harmful. Uh, I've thought about I've definitely thought about it in kind of two ways. One is it's how I want to do my next project, okay. and two I might still do it with this game, but I I kind of have you know I know there are a lot of problems with the game, right? So they have to be fixed one way or another. Right, whether the game is yeah. released or not, and I consider them to be fairly big problems from a design standpoint. So, for example, if I don't complete the campaign, if I don't solve the problems with teaching the player yeah. well, then a lot of people are just going to be confused by the game. They're not going to have fun, and you know that's like that's a pretty huge thing, right? It's it, it's yeah. by itself, it's big enough to make the game fail, right? Yeah. Forget about bad art and bad sound. Like that's enough to kill a game, and so. Like that, that has to be fixed, right? It's not uh, releasing it by itself won't help. On the other hand, I definitely did think about you know once I I'm in I'm in the polish stage, once I kind of eliminated all the things I know to be big problems, to release kind of a, a beta. You know how you know when Gratuitous Space Battles came out, you could pre-order it and then you get a beta version. Yeah. So I've considered you know doing that, and yeah. I think that'd be kind of a great thing to get more eyeballs on the game and. You know, people who are enthusiastic and hear their feedback. I think that could definitely work out. And are you gonna are you gonna add multiplayer features or anything like that to the game? Um, multiplayer. Okay, so I have a bit of a spiel to make about that. Sure. Um, you know, like a year ago, I saw an article on Rock Paper Shotgun about um, the multiplayer login rate for Demigod. So if you don't know about Demigod, this was a AAA, um, I guess. You know, Defense of the Ancients type game made by um, Gas Powered Games, I think. And it was a multiplayer only game. You know, I think they had some sort of offline tutorial, but it was like playing uh, Team Fortress 2 offline. It was like, you're missing the point. Um, and I don't remember the numbers exactly right now, but I'm pretty sure it was less than 50% of the players even bothered to open, to log into the server browser. Okay. Right? That's a scary statistic, right? So if you're developing multiplayer games, yeah, um, that's pretty scary, right? And this is a AAA game, right? These these are the guys who can summon enough of an audience to actually sustain a kind of a semi-vibrant uh, multiplayer lobby. Uh, if you, if you think about what it takes to have a kind of a, just somebody to play with people, period, right? So yeah. you know somebody logs into the lobby, there is one game. Well, what does that require? Uh, you know, just kind of very rough estimate. Uh, how long would you be willing to wait in a lobby that's empty for a game, for an indie game, right? Yeah. So, 
I don't know. What about what about Minecraft though? I mean, like what you know? That's that's multiplayer, I think. But so. Minecraft is fun by itself, right? Yeah, no, that's and true. I'm, I'm so not... so I'm I'm about to add a caveat, but let okay. me just kind of finish my main thesis. <laughs> sure. So the problem is if you just do this kind of standard lobby-based multiplayer, you, uh, you, you know you. You know, I would not be willing to wait one game, one minute for in an empty lobby. I'd probably sit there for like ten seconds, like at most, and I'd be like, "Well, this game is dead, right?" <laughs> yeah. And but here's the thing: let's say you have one person log in every ten seconds into the lobby, right? That's actually pretty good. Like as an indie, right? Yeah. Who's who is not like a, a super super duper famous, right? That's actually pretty good. Like if people log into your lobby once once every ten seconds, like your game is is kind of popular, but your multiplayer will still be completely dead. So, yeah, like doing kind of trying to follow the AAA multiplayer route, like making you know a Team Fortress type of game or StarCraft, I think would be incredibly risky, right? And it's not something. It's like the, this this one kind of thought has scared me off of doing multiplayer. <laughs> standard multiplayer there is kind of a, a saving grace to it though is this if you manage to make a multiplayer that's asynchronous yeah. right so that meaning that i can send you a challenge uh, via email or something like that and then you can play it later and you can be like ha, ah, i beat your score right or you know yeah, if you no, were absolutely. you know if you're a racing game you can race against the ghost or something like that then suddenly suddenly things start to work in your favor right so minecraft is kind of like that right you don't you can go into the server and you can see what other people have built, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, awesome. Uh, or even better, if you manage to take that and make it so that you can play single player, but then, you know, kind of unobtrusively the, the you know, the multiplayer kind of meshes with a single player. Yeah. Right? So if you play single player and then somebody else is playing single player and the game goes, oh, let's connect these two guys in interesting ways. Um, then Then you could have something that, like, really takes off. Yeah, right. so have you looked into that? I mean, as a game designer, are you more focused on single-player games, or do you do you feel there's an opportunity with multiplayer games? I really want to do kind of multiplayer games, or so I have ideas like that I'm kind of excited about. Yeah. But the stuff I've worked on so far has been very much focused on single-player. Okay. Actually, I actually feel that working on single-player stuff, just exclusively single-player, frees up a lot of constraints that you know, indies can can try. So, for example, you know, there's this idea of symmetry in strategy games, right? I'm, I'm you know, I'm, a lot of my games are strategy games, so uh, I give that a lot of thought. You know, you have StarCraft, and, you know, you have these three different sides, and they're kind of different, but they still have to obey the same rules. You know, they can't be grossly imbalanced, right? They can't be so different that... Um, you know that it's impossible to balance them, right? They still kind of you still have to kind of be playing the same game. And the great thing about working in, on single-player games is that I can have sides that are completely different because one of them doesn't have to be played by a player. It doesn't have to be fun. Yeah. It just has to be fun to play against, right? So this is why I have, you know, swarms off of off stupid but kind of very fun to kill, you know, bugs, right? <laughs> Um, it's because I can tune I can tune the enemy to be sat very satisfying to to overcome, it, but if you were to actually control them in a, in a kind of way, first of all, it'd be incredibly unbalanced, because you know you'd be able to optimize things in a way that the computer can't do right now. And two, you'd probably be pretty bored because you know it's like most of the time you just wait. Uh, but because I don't have that constraint of of making multiplayer and having giving you the ability to choose the different sides, I can be like, you know, let's make the game as fun as it can be in single player. Okay, um, so so your current game there's 
probably not going to be any multiplayer even in the future, even asynchronous or something like that. I don't, you know, if I thought of a good idea uh, how to make it asynchronous, yeah, I might consider it. The problem is, it's, you know, it's it's a quirky real time strategy game. Yeah. But when you really really get down to it, the the kind of the very basic paradigm of playing it, which is you start a game, you have a, you know you spend thirty minutes or so and you and you finish that map, right? Yeah. Uh, that's something I can't really get away from. And that very makes it very hard to make the you know kind of things asynchronous, right? Or maybe it's, yeah. So then maybe leaderboards or some kind of yeah. So leaderboards I've definitely thought of. So this space game game that I'm talking about, you know, remember how I mentioned that they display you know graphs for how well people other people did. Okay. Yeah. And that's an idea that I thought was awesome, and I've definitely like you know if, if I have time, I'll definitely try that because setting that up is actually, you know, the other thing is about multiplayer. It's, it's very, it's much harder to do than single player resource wise. Yeah. So, but setting up a web server that just serves up, you know, HTML requests and, uh, you know, kind of takes high scores, that's not nearly as hard. Yeah. Um, so, throughout this whole process, you know, what, what techniques and strategies have you changed or have you embraced that have really helped you become a more effective game designer? Hmm. Well, one thing that I do that I've, I've, you know, I do more is I. So there are there are a couple of things, you know, in in when I test, for example, it's very useful to just, you know, kind of sit down, take out a, you know, notepad, and just let the other person play the game and kind of just be silent. Yeah. So that's kind of a very useful strategy that has served me well. Um, that hasn't really changed though. Uh, let's see what has really changed. I think the stuff that's changed the most is really my, I guess, project management approach. If you could call it that, in the sense that I try to be a lot more organized, still not as organized as I would, as I wish, you know, uh, kind of I was, and, but, and a lot more clear about each step too, right? Like I think you were mentioning clarity at the beginning. Yeah, definitely. I think if if I were, the problem is I never, I you know, I hadn't had a chance to iterate on this, on these, all these insights yet, right? Yeah. Like I could, I I could very well do my next project and fall into the same traps, even though I don't really want to. Right, because it's it's just it's so easy to do to to kind of repeat the past mistakes. Um, yeah, one thing that I would really like to do, which you know I've, I'm almost kind of approaching, is to have clearly defined goals for design experiments, like within the game. Yeah. Okay. Right, and I've kind of had that. You know, like I mentioned the the kind of the forgiveness thing, and I had a very clear clear goal that I want to try. But it'd be almost like very good to formalize that and have a list of of constraints that you've defined, you kind of <laughs> defined that should be in the game, just yeah. to remind yourself, right? Because I, I think that's very helpful. Like once you have a particular idea of how the game should play, certain decisions become very easy because you'll look at your constraints and you'll be like the game should be um you know should be fast paced or you know should should be all about speed for example you know my game isn't but let's say you were making a game that was yeah and then certain decisions would become very kind of very easy and you know obvious right for example um let's say you know there was an object that made the player stumble and lost make them lose all their momentum like it'd be obvious that it was a bad idea right yeah so you know that thing uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I think project management wise, it's just mostly controlling uh, scope that I've learned to do most. Okay, so and far. and let's talk about marketing. Have you, as an indie developer, focused on marketing any? Um, what techniques and what strategies are you using to promote your game and keep it, you know, in the minds of people who who thought it was going to be out last year and it's you know it's a little delayed. So, right. So. 
marketing is is actually the thing that kind of keeps me up awake at night nowadays right before it used to be art because <laughs> yeah. i could never find a kind of an art style that i was satisfied with and now it's kind of marketing so i think if anything is going to you know kind of kill this game you know dead uh, right out of the door is going to be lack of publicity uh, unfortunately i don't actually have any kind of concrete great advice i have ideas for what i'm going to do i have kind of a a have developed marketing plan uh so one problem right so here's the reason why why you know it's not all kind of whistling along and everything is that it's very hard to both do marketing and develop the game at the same time yeah right so you know i wish i had a dedicated pr person like you know wolfire or something but you know it's it's just me um I try to, you know, I used to try to be more consistent in posting updates on the vlog and kind of try to keep up a certain schedule. I've more or less given up on that. I've, you know, I try to post things when they're notable or I'm, I've I've remembered that I haven't posted an update in a while. But basically, like, I'm really bad at it, right? Which is basically what it comes down to. Um, and, but my experience with marketing is really this so far, like concrete experience, is that back when the game looked like a programmer drew it, I tried uh, kind of sending out a lot of emails to various places and there was absolutely zero response. Like, well, actually, that's not true. So, uh, you know, Michael Rose from the Indie Games blog actually, you know, did an interview with me, which was awesome. So, yay, Michael Rose. Like, (laughs) that was was great. It was like, you know, probably stopped me from being completely depressed. And, uh, you know, that that was like you know, very, very good. But on the whole, I know it's kind of the whole indie gaming scene or even the, you know, the gaming scene at large, it was like zero response, right? Like I think one or two of my emails can answer. Um, so, you know, that's not unexpected, right? That's that's probably the standard way that things go. Uh, and the lesson I took back from that is, you know, it's very hard to promote your game if your game looks really bad, right? Okay. Really Visual or, but I mean, if you haven't, no, I don't know if that's true because I mean, Minecraft isn't, you know, it's not that graphically inspiring, you know. But I think, Minecraft took a while to get out yeah, there, right? Yeah, and that's like, and so that's that's a tribute to the iterative process where you're keeping your community engaged. As yeah, exactly, you, right. So, okay. but you know, if, I think if my if if Notch was just releasing screenshots and kind of keeping the game closed, yeah, no, uh, that's true. People would just be like, "This is somebody who's monkeying about in their own free time, right?" Okay. And it took my, you know, it took a while for Minecraft to get into Kotaku and all those other places, yeah. and then it was kind of snowball snowballing. So, the lesson that I took from my kind of closed development, nobody's responding, is that I have to make the game look better so that when I do send emails to people and so on and so forth, people kind of pay a bit more attention. And once the game does look like better and it's animated, I'll be able to make trailers. And that's going to be one more, you know, oh, one yeah, more step yeah. up. Uh, so that's my, kind of my current plan: is get the game looking actually good, get some, you know, kind of um, rudimentary sounds or the the kind of a vertical slice of sounds, and then start out um, kind of ramping up the marketing. Um, and whether that'll work or not, you know, you can you can ask me um, when <laughs> I when I do that, and I'll be either like, "Wow, everybody's talking about the game," or like, "I'll be all depressed," and then we can talk about that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the remaining minutes that we have, what, what suggestions would you have for other game developers and game designers who are trying to do something innovative or experimental 
uh, different and unique. Mm. I mean, what, what do you wish you would have known when you first started that would have helped you accelerate things? And, you know, maybe what are you doing now to make sure that you're at the top of your game design uh, skills, skill set? Wow, that, that actually, you know, that's kind of an intimidating question because I don't, I definitely don't think, you know, I have things figured out. Um, I think, you know, just kind of iterating rapidly is extremely important. If I were to single out any one thing, I mean, I have, I've been actually finishing games for maybe like the last two or three years, but I've actually been kind of mucking about with technology and making game-like things for, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 years. Right, so you know, like there is there's maybe ten years there that I was kind of making games, but really I wasn't. So you know, the key there is finish games, right, and try out new ideas. Um, and the other thing, I suppose, I wouldn't elevate it to the level of advice because <laughs> you know, advice presumes that you've actually sorted it out. But personally, I'm very actually frustrated with the level of, of originality in my games. Like I, I definitely think my current game is clever and is fun and is great, but you know, if you compare, say, the level of innovation that was back in the '80s, yeah, you know, it's it doesn't compare to like my, you know, my level of work, right? Like I've I've been definitely ex- like exploring interesting things about existing genres and not trying to discover like complete crazy stuff. And you look at somebody like you know, say Jason Rohrer, right? And whatever you might say about you know. You know whether you think his games are fun or not. That guy is exploring new things, yeah. right? Um, and which is awesome, right? So as and so far as innovating, I think you're gonna have to do it very consciously and do it with courage. And I and think that courage is is kind of very very important. So is is your goal to do something completely innovative, or is it to you know create fun games that are a little off the beaten path? Hmm. I kind of do like to do both in a sense that you know there are some game companies that are just way out there right you know they're like you know they tend to be controversial i think the guys that did the path right you know half of the indie community are you say like this is not a game what are you talking about right um and i would sort of i would like to be a bit more out there but also be approachable okay right so i'm i don't i'm not looking to make you know art games at the same time um you know, if I if I kind of muster up enough courage uh, for my next project, right? It is definitely very intimidating to kind of try new stuff, especially when you know you actually wanted to sell and stuff like that, so you can keep paying the rent. Yeah. Uh, I kind of I'm going to try to diverge a bit further. So my current game is recognizably a strategy game, right? It has all kinds of wacky conventions, and it's uh, you know it's probably more innovative than like most AAA games out there, but it's recognizably a strategy game. And it'd be nice for me to do something that's not recognizably a strategy game that kind of is, doesn't have a genre yet. Okay. Um, and so maybe that would... Would you be willing to do multiplayer stuff? Because it seems like multiplayer... Um, there are op- like more clear opportunities for new types of genres within multiplayer versus single mm-hmm. player. I'd be willing to do it as an experiment. Okay. Right? You know, I've... You know, kind of my earlier spiel against multiplayer games, uh, it kind of only applies to, you know, I'm going to sink six months into this, right? Okay. Um, as an experiment, definitely. If it's like, if it's multiplayer even on the same keyboard, then it's like even better, right? Because you don't, you don't have yeah. sort of crazy network coding. Um, it, it kind of goes up if you talk about asynchronous stuff, 
yeah. there, I like I would really love to have kind of subtle interactive features where you're kind of playing alongside of other players. Not necessarily they're like intruding into your gameplay space, but it's like you you're in the sandbox and they're building a castle nearby and you, you can interact. Um, yeah, I think multi- there are a lot of interesting stuff to be done in multiplayer. You know, if you've heard about um, Jason Rohrer's uh, Sleep is Death, right? Okay. That was like a very interesting experiment, right? And that was multiplayer. So I think there's a lot of space there. Great. And um, where can listeners find out more about your game and just keep up on yeah, your experiments or when you've released your, your latest game? So the place that's most alive... You know, I've had at varying levels of web presence. You know, I've had uh, like a destructed blog, but the place that's that's kind of is most active is probably my blog. Um, and let's see, if you go to if you go to rocketbeargames.com. Okay. So that's Rocket Bear, like a bear with a rocket, and you click on. And so that's B E A R. So Rocket B E A R Games. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so that's kind of my, you know, I guess very placeholderish uh, future company page. Uh, <laughs> and there's a big blog link out there that you can click and it takes you to my blog. Okay, great. Um, you know, thanks again for your time and your perspective on game design. Yep. Thank you for uh, talking. It was very interesting uh, to discuss these things. Great. Take care. Bye. Yep.